Hey everybody, Chris Harry with you on a week 16 edition of Chargers Weekly. Coming up, radio analyst Daniel Jeremiah and Good Morning Football's Peter Schrager will get you ready for Saturday night's game against the Ravens. We'll also get this week's opposing view from Jeff Zarebeck of The Athletic Baltimore. But first, Hall of Fame quarterback and NFL Network analyst Kurt Warner. All right, my first guest will be in the booth for Ravens Chargers along with Mike Tirico on NFL Network. The Hall of Famer Kurt Warner joins me on Chargers Weekly. And Kurt, December football, two playoff caliber opponents. Doesn't get much better than this, and we're thrilled that you're on the call for it. Well, I'm, uh, I'm excited as well that uh, you get to this point in the season and so many games matter in the big picture. And, um, you know, this is one of those games. So it should be a great atmosphere and a lot of great storylines. And, um, you know, both teams really fighting for something at this point. No doubt. And I know how hard you prepare for these games, Kurt. What's caught your eye on film when breaking down both of these teams? Yeah, you know, just getting into the process now. Um, but, you know, as I look at it, I mean, I'm excited for Philip Rivers. He's having a tremendous year, you know, one of his best years, which is uh, which is saying something as good as he's been over his career. But I think the thing that catches my eye, you know, really with their offense is all the different pieces and, and you know, flexibility of the pieces that they have, um, you know, that I, I don't know. And, you know, thinking back, I don't know if Phillips had this kind of talent around him across the board, guys that can do so many different things. Again, that's assuming Keenan Allen uh, ends up playing this weekend, which it sounds like uh, he's at least on track to do that. But uh, extreme talent, uh, although they're very young, uh, they've got talent across the board, the two backs, um, you know, the wide receivers uh, still got a little comfort level with, uh, with Antonio Gates, even though he's not the same guy that he used to be. Uh, that part of it's fun, um, knowing that the, the Chargers have, you know, those two pass rushers. You know, in this day and age, um, with, with how this league goes, you got to have those guys up front. And um, they've got some guys to do that. Uh, Derwin James has been incredible. Um, you know, so that's kind of on the Chargers side, the things that are kind of stand out, looking forward to seeing uh, up close and personal. And then you've got the other side with uh, Lamar Jackson and the ability to be able to prepare for something so different. Uh, you know, we've seen that they've averaged, you know, 200 yards rushing basically since he's uh, come in and become the starter. And so it's a different beast. And, you know, what makes this stuff so hard is, um, you know, going week to week. And when there's only one team that, that does it or two teams that do it, really hard to prepare for that um, within the course of a week. Now, the Chargers have a little extra time because they played on Thursday um, to prepare for that. Uh, but, but that's interesting. Nobody's really been able to figure it out and stop it. Um, and then, you know, it's scheme first, but then Lamar Jackson's a different beast. You know, we've, we've only seen a few of those guys, the Michael Vicks and, and guys like that that are so dynamic and so explosive with their legs, um, you know, that, that, that I'm looking forward to that dynamic and what the Chargers come up with to be able to slow that down. And then if they are able to slow that down, you know, where's Lamar Jackson in terms of a passer that I think he's got a long way to go. So if you force him into a passing game, we'll get a chance to see really where he is because I've heard some, you know, some really good things about him as a passer, even though we haven't seen it so much on Sundays. Um, and then you flip that, Phillip Rivers against um, you know, this defense of the Ravens, which is so good um, and do so many different things and throw so many different looks at you. They can rush the passer. They've got guys on the back end. They've got a couple physical corners um, that can get up and press you and make things hard. 
Um, so I just, uh, yeah, I think there's just so many ways to look at this and, you know, both matchups, you know, offense, defense on both sides are, are really, really good and very intriguing. And so I'm excited to see how it plays out. It's a great test for, for both teams as we get into January, assuming the Ravens, too, get in the playoffs. I mean, it doesn't get better than, than kind of seeing what you got in December against a high-caliber opponent. Let's stay with Phillip Rivers just for a second, Kurt. 31 touchdowns, 8 interceptions, 15th season, just notch another Pro Bowl appearance. What's impressed you most about what he's doing in 2018 specifically? Well, I mean, I think the most impressive thing has really been what I've seen you know, kind of down the stretch in games. Um, you know, the the one thing about this Chargers team in recent years is they've lost a lot of close games. You know, they haven't found a way to make those plays, and Phillip hasn't found a way to to make those difference-making plays late in games. Um, and so what they've done this year, you know, winning those close games and the way he's played, and specifically the last two games on the road down by double digits, uh, and bringing his team back twice. Um, so, you know, kind of that feel of maybe something's kind of turned the corner. Maybe there's a belief here, um, you know, and maybe Phillips even figured something out. And, again, that's hard to say because he's been so good throughout his career. But uh, in these moments, uh, I think he's been better this year than I've ever seen him before. And that excites me because, um, you know, I've had a chance to talk to, to Philip recently. I talked to him yesterday in prep, and I talked to him a couple weeks ago for NFL Network, and he's just one of my favorite guys. Um, you know, we got so much in common from a lot of kids to being a family guy to, to play in the position, but, you know, I, I just love his passion, and I love the way that he loves this game, and, I, you know, I want to see him play in a Super Bowl before it's all said and done, and uh, not that they won't have better, you know, opportunities in the next couple of years, but I just love the pieces on this team, and I love where they're sitting right now record-wise, um, that, you know, I think they have a shot to do that this year. Um, you know, kind of be, you know, we were talking yesterday, kind of be disappointing if they end up with, you know, tied or, or the second best record in the AFC and they have to travel on the road through the playoffs because we know how hard that is. But, you know, they've at least forged themselves a little bit with these last couple games and showing they can beat really good playoff teams on the road in tough environments. And so I think all this stuff is strengthening them um, and these young players um, to maybe be able to, to make a push here. You know, Kurt, another guy you're familiar with, Phillips offensive coordinator, your former head coach in Arizona, Ken Wisenhunt. When you look at this Chargers offense, are you familiar with some of the things that they're doing, or has it changed a little bit? No, I'm definitely familiar with a lot of the stuff that they're doing. Um, you know, it was fun, and again, I was talking to Phillip yesterday just about Wiz and, and uh, where Wiz was when he came to Arizona, coming from the Steelers organization, you know, and the way they ran things and kind of a fullback tight end type base offense to what we created in, in Arizona and becoming more of a three and four wide system and spreading it out and doing more of those little things that, um, you know, that, that you see a lot in the game now. Um, and then to watch him take that and grow and become, uh, the offense that they've become with so much flexibility and so much creativity in San Diego has been a fun process for me um, that I, I think, you know, we learned together and he learned a little bit from me being there. And then he's gone and been able to, to learn from Philip and, and take some of those things that he learned here, plus some of his background from Pittsburgh and really becoming a well-rounded 
you know, offensive coordinator that it's been, it's been fun to watch. So there's a lot of stuff that's similar. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that I know he brings from his past. And then I've seen some new creative stuff that they've done as well. And um, so I'm extremely excited for him, uh, you know, as we had great success together in Arizona and playing in that Super Bowl. Um, you know, that, that it's fun to watch him and know that he's with, uh, another QB that he can push the envelope with and, and create. And um, and that's been, to me, the most fun to watch. Kurt, we're getting close to the playoffs, just a couple of weeks away. And, you know, as someone who's won a Super Bowl, appeared in three of them, what's the most important ingredient or that one constant attribute that all of the teams that you were on possessed? Well, I mean, I think they were all different to some degree. Um, you know, I, what I always believe come playoff time is, is you have to have a team that's built to win different ways. You know, can you win if you're an offensive team, can you win a defensive battle? You know, at some point, you know, when we won the Super Bowl in 99, we won 11 to six in the NFC championship game against Tampa Bay, you know, where we played against another great defense and we had to find a way to win. And our defense needed to step up and, and play that, even though we were known for our offense. So I think, you know, that's part of it. I think the other part is, uh, do you have the kind of players that can play their best football? And I'm talking about the difference-making players, those defining players on your team. Do you have the kind of guys that can lift their game and play better when the lights are the brightest, when the pressure is the highest, when the stakes uh, are the greatest? And you know that, to me, is so much what playoff time is all about, is that do you have those guys? Can they do that? And if you're going to make a run, you need your best players um, to play at the, at the highest level. And, you know, those are just a couple of the things to me that, that separate, you know, really good teams from everyone else and, and allows teams to make those playoff runs. Kurt, something that I've noticed over the last month, specifically with this Chargers team, is 1-53. to 53. You know, when Melvin Gordon's not in a game against Pittsburgh Steelers or the Chiefs, you bring in a guy like Austin Eckler. Uh, when he goes down, Justin Jackson, a seventh-round pick, Detrez Newsom, an undrafted free agent. How important is it to get guys like that in big spots, especially late in the season, not only to, to show that they can be counted on, but just to give them confidence when it does matter the most in January? Uh, well, I mean, I, I think it's always important, you know, because you just never know how things are going to play out. And, and you know, when somebody might go down and we all talk about the next man up mentality and, you know, and how you have to have a guy step in and play well. But, um, you know, as the stakes get higher and as you get closer to the playoffs, that becomes harder and harder to expect a young guy to step in and, you know, play at that level if they, if they haven't played before. And so, um, you know, sometimes you, you look back after, you know, things like, like happened to L.A. recently um, where – you know, Gordon goes down and Eckler goes down and these young guys have to play. And uh, you go, man, maybe you come playoff time if those guys get nicked up a little bit. Um, maybe this becomes a blessing in disguise to know a little bit more about these guys, to know what they can do, to have confidence. Because that's another part of it is, you know, when you lose one of your big names at critical moments, uh, you know, there's, there's an emotional, there's a, there's a mental uh, aspect that goes into going, man, we got to go play our toughest game without, you know, one of our horses, you know, and, and, and it plays with you a little bit. If you've got some young guys that have already played and stepped in and played well, and something like that happens, 
now you don't miss a beat. You know, that there's no hesitation in going, hey, we know this guy can fill in and we know what he's capable of. Um, and so, uh, you know, eventually it could end up being a, a blessing in disguise, um, you know, for the Chargers having these guys get some time and play and maybe even be able to spell um, a Melvin Gordon if there's times during the playoffs that you want to do that. Kurt, you touched on Lamar Jackson at the top, and I, I had to do a double take just looking at the stat sheet. He's averaging 17 carries a game. Couple that with just the fact that there's only five games of you know, starting tape on him. It's an unconventional offense. How much added pressure does a dual-threat quarterback like Jackson put on a defense? Well, I mean, there's no question it's, it puts pressure on him. You know, we, we always talk about how usually it's 11 versus 10 um, in the running game when you're talking about a defense versus an offense because, you know, a lot of teams – you know, you don't have to count for the quarterback. You don't have to worry about him. Um, but now when, when a quarterback comes in that you have to worry about, and then maybe on top of that, when a quarterback comes in that's as dynamic and probably better than some of the running backs um, that are on their team, uh, that adds a whole nother element to it. And so um, you have to figure out a way because there's so many different aspects to it. There's There's always that read aspect to things where, you know, good teams at this, they isolate one guy, you know, they isolate that defensive end or they isolate that linebacker and they go, okay, you're not going to be right. You know, we've got guys to account for everybody else. And now you've got to decide, do you want to take the back or do you want to take the quarterback? Um, and so it's a really difficult thing to do um, and, and to put these guys in pressure, in pressure situations and to try to double play uh, a running back and a quarterback because if you hesitate at all, you're lost and the other team wins either way. So uh, it's knowing your responsibilities. It's having the right scheme. It's being able to, to you know, react to, you know, I was just watching some tape on Baltimore yesterday, and they do a nice job of, of changing strength. So even though you may be set up to the strength and think that you've got it wired, now all of a sudden they motion, the strength becomes the other side. And as you're trying to play catch up, they get angles and, and they get you out of position or, you know, the guy that was down in the box on the, the one side, as you motion, he can't get over to the other side and give you that extra defender. Uh, and then they run the zone read. So they just, they do a nice job of changing things up and changing looks up within their scheme to put a lot of pressure on the defense to have to react quickly. Kurt, final thing for me, and this is more off the field because I had a chance to to talk to Corey Legit, our Walter Payton Man of the Year nominee, a couple of weeks ago when he was nominated, and it, it's such a big deal. And I'm so happy for Corey and all the amazing work that he's done off the field. You won this award in 2008. If you could just put it in perspective of just what it meant to you to win that award, and just you know what it means for the rest of your career and really the rest of your life to to have the distinction of being a Walter Payton Man of the Year? Well, um, yeah, I mean, it's a it, tremendous honor. And, you know, I think there's a lot of guys in this league that take their position really seriously and their responsibility to impact people with their platform. They, they take that very seriously. And the Walter Payton Man of the Year is, um, you know, probably the biggest way the NFL recognizes that work that, that those guys do. And so to be recognized, not just for what you do on the football field, but for the type of impact you're having off the football field uh, is really, really special because uh, what I've learned over the years is that, you know, records are broken and, 
you know, football accomplishments, uh, you know, are forgotten. But when you impact people's lives, they never forget that. That that is a, a lifelong thing. And um, you know, so when when I got to the NFL and my wife and I had talked about how important it was to us to make sure that our legacy was bigger than football. That you know, when people talked about us or remembered us, we wanted the first thing to, for them to say was. Uh, you know, about the character and about what we represented and about what we did for other people. And then they could talk about the football stuff after that. And if you're able to get to that point, you've really won in life. And and that to me is what it's all about. And, you know, what these guys are doing and and being represented by the Walter Rate man of the year, you know, nominee and and then the winners, um, you know, it's at least saying, Hey, you're on the right track. You know, you're doing some things that are being recognized that, you know, extend way beyond the football field. And so I commend all the guys in the league that are doing stuff, you know, a lot of recognized some, uh, uh, many aren't recognized for what they do. Uh, but all the nominees, um, tremendous honor. And, um, you know, just, I I love that it brings to light because, you know, when you're a guy, even when you cover the league, um, you know, and you're not in LA, you know, around the chargers and know what they do, that's the other part I love about it. They've made it, you know, a bigger thing, whether it's the patch, um, you know, that that's on your Jersey or the way that they, you know, talk about these guys on the different games that they play. They've really gone out of their way to bring light to the unbelievable work that these guys do that most of us, even those close to the game would never know if it weren't for, uh, you know, what the NFL has chosen to do in regards to the Walter Payton man of the year and the nominees around the league. Well said, Kurt. Your first class, and I can't tell you how enjoyable it is to listen to you and Tariko in the booth and having Peter on the sidelines. Look forward to seeing you at StubHub Center. Awesome. Can't wait. All right, guys. want to tell you that the LA Chargers rely on Bose QC35 headphones 2 to black out distractions and focus on what matters most. The same powerful noise-canceling technology helps you concentrate on your music, your work, maybe this podcast, or whatever you're passionate about. Learn more at Bose.com slash Chargers. Bose, the official headphones of the L.A. Chargers. All right, to get this week's opposing view, we bring in Jeff Zarebeck of The Athletic Baltimore. And Jeff, I appreciate you joining us. We've got a playoff-like game in Los Angeles just before the playoffs. Uh, what are the Ravens saying about taking on the Chargers? Yeah, I mean, the game, I, I think there's a lot of buildup to this game to begin with, but uh, what happened last week with the Ravens and, and their whole playoff chances, you know, they beat the Buccaneers. It's kind of a business-like win, mm. uh, but yet their playoff chances grew worse. I mean, just because everybody around them won, um, you know, Colts beat, you know, Colts upset the Cowboys and the Steelers beat the Patriots and the Titans beat the Giants. So uh, they originally uh, didn't weren't hoping that this game would probably, you know, they have to win, um, you know, to make the playoffs or to keep their playoff hopes alive. But that's pretty much the reality. They have to win out um, and, and they understand the challenge that the Chargers, uh, you know, present probably the, you know, best team in AFC right now on the road on a short week for them. Uh, Chargers have, have a little, have had more rest, look like they're getting a couple of their healthy guys back. So uh, it's a huge challenge. Uh, the Ravens offensive guys have said this is the best defense 
they've played in a while, and I, I think uh, obviously the Ravens' defensive guys would say that uh, you know the Chargers are one of the better offenses they played. So uh, to beat good teams or to get to the playoffs, you should have to beat good teams, and uh, this is the case for the Ravens. Well, I tell you, Jeff, I want to start with this Baltimore offense because I imagine for you. It's a tale of two seasons, right? When you look at what the Ravens have done these last five games with Lamar Jackson under center, they're 4-1. They're doing it in a very unique way. They have an undrafted rookie running back in the backfield in Gus Edwards, and they're averaging over 230 yards per game on the ground in their last five contests. Yeah, I mean, for the first nine weeks, they couldn't run the ball at all. I mean, I think they were 31st in yards per carry. It's incredible. And and that was inflated a little on the plays Jackson came in on. You know, they use them as a handful of plays per game, um, you know, and mostly running plays. And he got some of them. He handed off on others. Uh, but they had some success with that uh, as sort of a change-up to what Joe Flacco was bringing the offense. And, uh, you know, the, they were able to run the ball a little bit with that. And that's the only reason their numbers didn't even look worse at the time. So, uh, you know, I, I figured he'd help the run game, he being Jackson, um, but I don't think any of us expected them to rush for, you know, over 190 yards in five straight games. I mean, they're the first team to do that since 1976. So mm. uh, they're doing uh, something that no other team in the league is doing right now. I know the Steelers like, or excuse me, the Chargers, uh, the uh, Seahawks like to run the ball a good bit. But, uh, you know, the amount they're running the ball, it's just not happening elsewhere. And they've had a lot of success. For it. They've completely changed their offense on the fly. Uh, which is very difficult to do, but it, it's brought a dimension that they haven't had. They're controlling possession. Their defense is pretty good, and, and they've been well-rested because it's not on the field a whole lot. Um, and the Ravens are uh, being able to move the ball uh, up and down the field uh, with that, while protecting Jackson at the same time. We all know he's not a finished product. We all know he, he's not a, a, a great downfield passer yet. Um, but they're winning with him and what he presently is capable of doing. And, uh, you know, these games are all must-win for them, so they've kind of gone after it. Like, each game we're going to try to do what's the best thing for us to win, and uh, so far they've had success, and that's come from running the football. It's almost an advantage to change your offense this late in the season because there's there's not a ton of tape. I mean, you get the last five weeks, but the thing that that strikes me is is Jackson's averaging 17 carries per game. Is that the formula that they want to sustain, or do they want to get to a point where he's throwing the ball a little bit more, Jeff? Because you know, I, I go back to 2012. I, I followed the Redskins closely with Robert Griffin III, and yeah. he was electric. But he, he put himself in situations where you leave yourself open to, to big hits. I remember the Haloti Nada hit that, that really kind of uh, ended his career with the Redskins. Yeah. Is, is that something with, with Lamar? They want him to be a little, little more careful running the football? Yeah, they do. And, and it's, that's just the, always the question. But you don't want to coach the playmaker out of him. You don't want to coach what he does best. Um, so he's running too much. He's taking too many hits. This is not a big guy. Um, but it, you know, I don't think I think they understand it's not sustainable. Um, I think they understand that if if this is going to work with Lamar Jackson going forward, uh, they're going to need to be much more dynamic in the downfield passing game. Um, he can throw the ball. He's not just a runner, but he just remains a work in progress. He'll make a couple throws a game that 
just are ugly. Where he'll miss a wide open receiver. Uh, Sunday uh, last week, he had a wide open Mark Andrews down the sideline. The guy he and he threw it off the back of a chasing defender. And you know, there's a as I said, there's a handful of throws per game uh, that that just are ugly. But then you'll see him make a, a throw. You're like, okay, you know, he can do it. So, uh, but. You know, the thing is, everyone wants to talk about the future, about whether this is sustainable, and that's understandable. Um, but the Ravens, literally, there's jobs on the line with this organization. You know, John Harbaugh may not be back. This team needs to win. The general manager, only general manager they've ever had, Ozzie Newsom, uh, is stepping aside after this year. They want to win. That's so, a great point. Uh, they're worried about how they're, what's the best way they can win now. And where Lamar Jackson is in his development, um, he's just not ready to to throw the ball 30-plus times a game. And uh, there are opportunities, though, and and I think they're trying more and more to add more passing elements into it. Um, But, you know, they do some RPO stuff, and a lot of those result in Lamar Jackson runs. So it's not that they're not calling more plays. Um, but it's it just I, I just think they're trying to do protect him a little bit in terms of as a passer and trying to do what he's most comfortable with. But I don't think anyone's kidding themselves. They're not going to be able to play like this for very long. Jeff, quickly, before we get to Baltimore's defense, tell me about Gus Edwards. Undrafted, <laughs> I think he played his, his football Rutgers in Miami. He's averaging 97 yeah. yards per game in his last five. It's not just Jackson. It's this undrafted rookie as well. Yeah, and I, I mean, they got him for a $6,000 signing bonus. I mean, he was just kind of sitting out there. How about that? And they, they three undrafted free agent running backs they brought in. He wasn't, you know, they he didn't make the team. He was on the waiver wire. Uh, he, and then they had a, one of their top three running backs, Kenneth Dixon, get hurt. And, you know, um, Gus Edwards wasn't even their first promotion. They promoted somebody else from their practice squad. So, it's just interesting. I mean, it's just no frills. Doesn't wow you. Just puts his head down and gets, you know, goes forward. He has not. He's not lost a yard yet this year. He's not had a single carry where he's lost yardage. So um, it's just a good compliment right now. Nothing to take anything. Not taking anything away from Edwards. But, you know, Jackson's ability to challenge on the perimeter and the threat he brings with his speed has really opened up the, just the north-south running game. And Edwards has just been a good no-frills fit for that role. You know, Baltimore and defense, they've been synonymous for a long time. This year's no different. They're the number one defense in the league. They're number three against the pass and the run. In fact, the last five, they've been so stingy against the run, 65 yards per game on the ground. What's the best way to attack this Ravens defense, Jeff? I think when teams have had success, it's been from quarterbacks getting the ball out quickly. Um, they haven't given up a ton of big plays down the field. The, the quarterbacks that have had a lot of success, Andy Dalton did it to him in week two, uh, Drew Brees uh, earlier. Most of the success has come from just really quick stuff in the middle of the field, just keeping the chains moving. Um, their linebacker struggling coverage tight ends have been particularly successful against the Ravens. So the short intermediate stuff, uh, quarterbacks getting rid of the ball quickly and just nullifying their pass rush. That's kind of what's been their Achilles heel as a defense this year. Um, you know, but it is, it's a good group and it's played the, the chargers are the sixth top 10 offense they'll play this year. So it's not like they're just gathering these stats against, you know, uh, tomato cans at the bottom of the league in offense. They've, They've been able to, and they've given up some stuff, but they've been able to contain or at least limit 
uh, some really good offenses this year. But the, the, the best way to attack them has been with the short, quick stuff. They've had a lot of the trouble defending in the middle of the field at times. It's going to be fun to see in this Chargers offense against this Ravens defense. kind of like strength versus strength because Ravens, they're only allowing 18 points per game. The Chargers are averaging 28 a game. They, they've scored 20 in every single game this year. What do you think the biggest challenge is for the Ravens when it comes to this Chargers team that's been pretty balanced over the course of the season? Yeah, I, I think um, it's just going to be applying pressure and trying to force turnovers if, if they can get it. I, I, You know, nothing taken away from Jackson and the Ravens run game, but you know, of in his, you know, in his starts, they've played bottom five or six run defenses in every time, and they haven't been able to stop the Ravens, so they've just kept running the ball. Chargers have a top ten run defense. I don't know that they're going to be able to run the ball up and down the field on them. In fact, I don't expect them to. Nor, nor I think do they. Um, and my point in saying that is. Um, the Ravens have very little margin of error the way they're playing offense right now. So I think their defense and special teams need to create scoring opportunities for them. And, and, and I think that's the biggest challenge. When, when Rivers gets hot, I, I don't know that there's much you can do. Uh, but the Ravens have to figure out a way, and I know this is every game, but especially you know this week with all the weapons the Chargers have, they have to figure out a way to make uh, Rivers uncomfortable and, and, and get to him and at least give him something to think about. And, um, you know, the chess match between the, the best friends and former teammates, Weddle and Rivers, I think that's why that's so interesting uh, this week because I'm sure they both know each other about as well as you can. But uh, Weddle and his defense have to figure out a way uh, to, I don't know if you're going to confuse Rivers, to, but, but to do things he's not exactly expecting and to make him uncomfortable. Jeff, if you could give us a name or two on this Ravens team. We mentioned Gus Edwards and Lamar Jackson, obviously, but maybe a, an under-the-radar guy who's performed at a high level this year that that not many people may know about. Yeah, um, I don't I don't know if he's under the radar because he's a former first-round pick, but Marlon Humphrey, their corner from Alabama, second-year guy, um, you know, it doesn't even start all the time because they rotate. They have the veteran quarters on the outside and Jimmy Smith, Brandt Carr. But Marlon Humphrey's playing now at a Pro Bowl level. Uh, he didn't get off to a great start, but in the last four or five games, he's been playing at a Pro Bowl level. He got his first interception last week. Um, and it could be interesting because him and Mike Williams, when Clemson and Alabama ha- had some had some battles there. That's uh, right. That National Championship. Fun. Yeah, that could be fun. So I think Marlon Humphrey is a guy that's quickly emerging uh, into the upper tier of young cornerbacks in the NFL. And, uh, you know, he's a big reason why the defense has managed to, you know, not give up a ton of big plays. Jeff, finally, a big game for both teams, playoff implications. Heck, these teams could see each other in a couple of weeks. We don't know how it's going to all shake out. But uh, what do you think will decide or could decide this game? You know, I just I think it's going to be first and second downs. Um, The Ravens have been one of the best third down offenses and one of the best third down defenses in the league. So, if on offense they can stay out of third and longs and open up all sorts of options on third and and moderate or third and short for Jackson, they're going to be tough to stop. And on defense, if they can force Rivers into third and long and, and Rivers and the Chargers. If they can stop Gordon on early downs and force Rivers into third and longs and then get after him a little bit, do some different things defensively and disguises and stuff, 
I think that that represents the Ravens' best chance to win. You know, I, I, they have to win on first and second downs. Uh, otherwise, I think it could be a long day because Jackson's just not ready uh, against a, a quality defense to consistently convert on uh, third and sevens and third and eights. And, and that, that, that could get away from them early because, as I said earlier, it's really helped – that Jackson and the offense has just controlled the time of possession and kept the defense off the field. Uh, they're going to do. They're going to need to do that again because if the defense is on the field too much against the Chargers, it'll be a long, uh, a long game. Awesome stuff, Jeff. Jeff Zarebek, the Athletic Baltimore. Look forward to seeing you soon, Jeff. Looking forward to it. Thanks a lot for having me. All right, my next guest. He was in Denver last Saturday for Browns Broncos. I wake up Sunday morning. He's in Los Angeles Sunday for pregame show duties on Fox. He's back in New York now for Good Morning Football, and he'll be back in L.A. roaming the sidelines Saturday for Ravens Chargers. The great Peter Schrager joins me now. Peter, what's up, buddy? Chris, the great. I love that. I'll take it. Thanks, bro. Dude, how was this last weekend for you, man? Because you guys crushed it on, on the broadcast Saturday, but, but to be a part of a team with Tariko and the Hall of Famer Kurt Warner has got to be special. Are you kidding me? Amazing. Uh, truly an honor. And Tariko is so smooth. It's like butter. And then Warner is as prepared as anyone I've ever worked with. Comes in, knows everything inside and out from the X's and O's, and then also has all the personal stories. Um, it could not have been cooler. And, you know, before the game, Peyton Manning's there. And uh, we're walking around, and, and Warner's talking to Mayfield, and then Warner's talking to Peyton Manning. And I'm just a fly on the wall. We've got everyone from, you know, Jimmy Haslam walking around to John Elway to who's who and being the sideline reporter, you kind of have your ear to the wall. And I'm just a fly in a lot of those conversations, but uh, it was electric Saturday night in Denver. And I can only imagine it being tenfold in the stub hub, which must be the biggest stub hub event. I could maybe say since like the MLS cup 20 years ago, I have no idea, but this is a huge one on Saturday. And I'm so, so honored to be on the sidelines for Ravens Chargers. Dude, we're pumped to have you. It's the third primetime game for the Chargers in four weeks. And before we get to the Ravens, let's just rewind to, to last Thursday because I had you on before the season on this program, and you said it. You said you needed to see the Chargers beat the Chiefs. And we were just talking off air. In the span of 11 days, not only did they beat the Chiefs down 14 points in the second half, but 11 days before that, they're down 16 in Pittsburgh. They get the win. Just your overall takeaways from what you saw Thursday in KC. I think this is this is something I got to say to Chargers fans. There's no one who wants to see the Chargers succeed more than me, but I also am not going to fall uh, hook, line, and sinker until they get over their greatest obstacle, and that was beating Kansas City in Kansas City. And not only did they do it, they did it down 14 points in the fourth quarter in the most heroic of fashions. What a win. I said it on Friday morning's Good Morning Football. I think it was the best win any team had all season. That includes the Cowboys beating the Saints. That includes the Rams beating the Chiefs. I think the uh, I think the Chargers going into Arrowhead with that up against them and winning was was truly amazing. And you know what? Maybe the second best win of the season was them in Pittsburgh down 16 in the second half. So say what you want about going into the season and what they need to prove. They don't have to prove anything to anyone. They don't have to prove crap to me, and they don't have to prove crap to the rest of the league. They've proved it already. Now they just got to keep that train going and hopefully get it done in January. But what a ride it's been. And I said it on Sunday's Fox NFL kickoff show. You can have your Matt Nagy. You can have your Sean Payton. Anthony Lynn is my 2018 Coach of the Year. And that, and that is – I'll debate that to the end of time. What an amazing performance the Chargers have had this season. I want to get into that in one second. But first, just the decision to go for two. Short week, Thursday night, uh, an opponent you haven't beaten nine straight times. And 
Coach Lynn says, let's just let's go for it now. Well, that's what, that's what bothered me. The next day, everyone said, well, there really was nothing to lose. Because if you don't get it, you're still the five. Season. You're not realizing the context here. They haven't beaten the Chiefs since 2013. If they lose, no one goes back and says, well, they went for two. It's just another loss. It's 10 straight losses, and we have to deal with this all offseason next year. and have to deal with this for the rest of time. It was such a ballsy call, and it doesn't matter about playoff implications. And it does show what Anthony Lynn is all about and the faith he has in this offense. What a play call. They went to the same exact play call that they did on the touchdown. They flipped it around for the two-point conversion. They relied on the fact that the Chiefs' defense did a mess the last two drives. And sure enough, there was a miscommunication, and they capitalized. There are so many different elements to this that people who just look at the playoff standings and say, well, if they won, they're the five seed. If they lose, they're the five seed. It wasn't really that big a risk. Bull crap. This was a huge, huge, huge risk. And to come out of that building with a win is so much different than coming out of that building with a loss. I think it totally changes the script, the narrative, everything about the AFC and the AFC West in particular. Well, since that 0-4 start, Peter, the Chargers, they're 20-6. and And Peter King had this stat in his Monday column that no coach in the NFL has more wins in his last 21 games than Anthony Lynn. And, and I hear it too, you know, the coach of the year candidates, there's a lot of deserving guys, right? Nagy in Chicago, Frank Reich, Sean Payton. But you made a strong case for Coach Lynn last week, and I can't say I disagree, man. Think about what they've been through. I mean, I saw you guys in London. We had a good chance to socialize quite a bit, and then I saw you guys on game day. Uh, and think about this team. They were, they were home on, I think, October 7th, and they spent 41 days out of their own homes uh, on the road with a bunch of road games. They go to London, they win that one, and they've got to go and they've got to beat Pittsburgh after being down 16 points in the second half, beat Kansas. I mean, the, 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 the odds are so stacked against them. And, oh, yeah, doing it without Melvin Gordon one week and then without Austin Eckler the next. And now Keenan Allen, you know, he gets that injury and they still win in Kansas City despite that, and they rely on guys like Travis Benjamin and Mike Williams who have not been the primary receivers this season in the clutchest of moments. I couldn't be prouder of the Chargers. And I think if you're a fan of the Chargers, you couldn't be more impressed with the way this team has responded to adversity. You talk about moving from San Diego to L.A. You talk about a new coach. You talk about new coordinators. You talk about new playmakers at every position. And then you talk about a team that just finds a way to win. I know they haven't won the big one in January. I know they didn't make the playoffs last year. But guess what? It's a new year, and this Chargers team's for real. And Anthony Lynn... I don't even know if he's if I consider him an X's and O's guy. I know it's insulting to say that. I consider him more of like the CEO. And I think he trusts Wisenhunt. He trusts Gus Bradley. But he sets the tone for that building. And I think just being around that team in London, and we, and we had a chance to kind of get in there a little bit and embed, and embed myself into that team for a couple of days, you see that the players respond to him, the front office responds to him, the coaches respond to him. And even the guys across the organization, everyone from the business side to the broadcast side, I think everyone responds to Anthony Lynn. He's the true CEO of a team that is doing truly great things. I go back to that trip to Peter, that 10-day trip where they were in Cleveland all week. They go to London for a few days, 10 days away from Los Angeles. When they get on a plane this year, it's pretty remarkable. They're 7-0. and The only road loss was a loss to the Rams in L.A. County at the Coliseum. So talk about being battle-tested, especially when you get to January. You're 7-0 and when you get on an airplane. I mean, there are so many of these teams that can't play outside their own building. There are so many of these teams that can only play on their own coast. So many teams that struggle in cold weather. 
to go, again, I could say it 30 times to go into Pittsburgh and to go into, into Kansas City. But how about the win in Cleveland? Monster win. How about the performance uh, they had in London where they were down to the Titans and they found a way to hold on? Just a fantastic, fantastic performance outside their own building. And then this point has been really nailed a lot in the last couple of days by every pundit you know, and every Tom, Dick, and Harry. But I've been saying it all season. When they play those home games, this is no insult to the Charger fan base, but when they play those home games, it is a vacation for teams from the cold-weather cities. So you're going to see the Philadelphia fans in that building. You're going to see the the Green Bay fans. Whenever they're in that home building and they're playing against teams from cold-weather cities, those fans look at that as a vacation trip, and that place is packed with other teams' fans. I assure you, and again, no slight to the Charger fan base, I assure you there will be purple and, and black all over that crowd on Saturday. The Ravens fans are coming. This is a holiday weekend. They've got off from work. And this is one of the few times they're not playing in the rain or the snow in December or January. The Ravens fans have booked these tickets in April and they will be making their way to the StubHub Center. And to win all of those games and then win on the road, that means you can take on anyone, any place. And to get on a plane is no big deal because when you play in your own building and you hear the crowd from the other team cheering, that is something you've got to become sick to and you've got to become hardened to. And amazingly, this Chargers team responds to that, and it makes them better on the road. You know, Peter, let's dive into this Ravens-Chargers match. I know you've been digging in this week. Ravens 4-1 with Lamar Jackson as a starter. Very unconventional offense. He's averaging 17 carries per game, which is wild. Melvin Gordon's averaging 15 carries a game in 10 starts. Uh, what do you gravitate towards in this matchup at first glance? Just the defense from the Ravens. Everyone's going to talk about Lamar Jackson, but that defense is so good, and they hit so hard, and they've got such a stronghold on the way that these games are played. The Ravens never find themselves in shootouts. You watch that Saints game back; it's twenty-three to twenty, and then they kick that they miss the extra point. Like it's just, it's just always going to be in that twenty to twenty-five point range if you're lucky. They don't lose games fifty-one to twenty-eight. They don't play in games where they have to score forty. So I say that because that's going to put the pressure on the Chargers to get to that point. Uh, you know, and the Chargers defense has to keep Lamar Jackson in that offense under 20 themselves. So the Ravens defense, they play football that wins games in December and January. And now they've got this running game that just controls the clock. This isn't going to be the Chiefs game. This isn't going to be back and forth and, and wild, wild west. This is going to be one of those games where someone's going to win 21 to 19 or 24 to 20. And I, and I think that's going to be the storyline. Who's got the ball last and whose defense can put the, the punishment on two really good offenses. Peter, this Ravens defense you mentioned, they're number one in the league. They're three against the run. They're three against the pass. I think you feel it when you play them the next week too. What do you think is, is the best way to attack them? tough because last year even they drafted their first four picks with defense this year they added players you know eric weddle can still play and you guys know him well there's just talent at all three levels so how do you beat them i don't know no team's really put a beating on them no team has put a lot of points on them trying to think about their season not having it in front of me but i don't have a recollection since lamar jackson coming in of any team putting 30 up i mean i know the chiefs beat them in an overtime game where they had to use every last second Hail Mary, a fourth and nine pass across his body, and then a fourth and three pass to Damien Williams to even get to overtime. But Ravens are tough, and, and, and Phil can throw the ball all, all over the yard in Kansas City and all over the yard in Pittsburgh. This is a different defense. Um, I think your best bet is to, to hope for a couple of big plays and then maybe control the game on the ground. And if Melvin Gordon's in there and toting the rock, you have the best chance to do that. You know what's interesting about this matchup too, Peter, is it's possible – 
that these two teams could meet in a couple of weeks, depending on how the next couple of weeks shake out. You know, it's crazy because it could be it could be the Ravens, it could be the Steelers, the Chargers could get a bye. We'll get you out of here on this. These next two weeks, specifically in the AFC, what are you keeping your eye on as we inch closer to January? Steelers Saints is fascinating this weekend. Baltimore Los Angeles is fascinating. And then Kansas City's got to go to Seattle. So all three of these teams are kind of in that jumbled little garbled area, they've got to win games. And, oh, yeah, suddenly the Eagles are red hot. And the Texans, who probably thought three weeks ago that that would be a soft spot of their schedule, they've got to go in there. So it's wide open. What's going to be interesting to me is to see this Steelers-Saints game because the Steelers get this huge win, and if the Steelers can drop this game to the Saints or find a way to win this game against the Saints, it totally sets a bunch of different dominoes in motion. And then how do the Chiefs respond to their loss? I don't know who's going to win Chargers-Ravens. Honestly, Chris, if you were to ask me right now, I don't have a pick. I'd say the Chargers are probably the favorite in that one. But I could say that I could see the Seahawks beating the Chiefs, and I could definitely see the Saints beating the Steelers. That sets a lot of different dominoes in motion. And one of those dominoes could be the Chargers ending up with the one seed overall, which is something I think a month ago you guys probably didn't even think was very realistic. No, I mean, when you're, when you're three, four games back of an opponent, and then we, we look at Seattle losing to San Francisco, and, and then obviously the Chiefs coming off a, a loss to the Chargers with a few days extra to prepare. That's the game, Peter, that I think is going to kind of put everything into place in terms of who gets that bye, and then obviously that Steelers-Saints game. Not only is it a big game for the Steelers, but the Saints, they can wrap up home field advantage, and, and you know what we thought was uh, an arms race to Week 17 with the Rams and Saints, that may not be the case. Where's Denver week 17? Is that, that's at, in Denver, right? That's in Denver, yep. Not easy, man. Not easy. And especially if the Broncos have all these young guys playing who don't know any better. And I, I did their game Saturday night against the Browns. Look, they lost. It didn't look good. But, like, Chubb and Miller, they hit. And you know that rivalry. And they've no doubt. beaten you guys once. Like, there's no easy out. Like, you just almost wish there was a team that you say, okay, circle them on the, on, the, on the schedule and we could at least notch that for a win. Outside of maybe Arizona, who you guys handled with ease a couple of weeks ago and everyone else's too, I don't see a single team on anybody's schedule that's an easy out, which makes this so fascinating and makes it so interesting over the final two weeks. Uh, but yeah, the Ravens, that's a tough one. And then the Broncos, that's no cakewalk either. It gets really interesting the final two weeks of the season. It does, and it starts on Saturday. You'll be on the sidelines. I don't know how you do it, brother. You do an amazing job. I uh, can't thank you enough for your time. Get some rest, and I'll see you on Saturday. As I always say, Chris, I love coming on with you guys. I love that the Chargers are relevant right now, and I cannot wait. It is my first game doing sidelines at the StubHub Let's go. I'm really excited, man. I can't wait to see you there on Saturday. And if you're a fan listening to the podcast, be sure to shout me out. I'll say what's up. All right, before we get to Daniel Jeremiah, a quick break to let you know that this season we've taken Chargers Weekly to the next level. That's because I'm using Bose QuietComfort 35 Headphones 2 on air now. The powerful noise-canceling technology helps me block out distractions and brings you the latest news on the LA Chargers. Visit Bose.com slash Chargers to learn more about the most powerful Bose headphones yet. Bose, the official headphones of the NFL. All right, here at the Hoke Performance Center, on location, move the sticks (laughs) on location. Really excited about this one. Yeah, we got a a, a full crew out here today. Going to get a little uh, Derwin James, a little Mike Williams, and uh, throw it up on NFL.com. So be out there for everybody. Ryan Bartlett, Kent. In the building, Bucky yeah, will be here A-team. soon. The A team's here, Bucky A- will be here shortly, and uh, we'll rock and roll. A team's here, man. Well, 
listen, there's so much to get into. Let's just start with Kansas City. You, money in the booth, last eight minutes, 15 seconds, down two scores. What's going through your head? It was nuts. It was nuts. You just kind of, they found a way to hang in the game. And then it was like, okay, they've got a shot, but everything has to go perfectly in terms of being able to get off the field defensively, cash in every drive at that point in time in the game. And then once they scored, I don't think there might have been some doubt, maybe with some folks watching at home or, or maybe even some people on the sideline. There was no doubt when they scored they were going for two, at least up in the broadcast booth. We're yeah, like, yeah. They are going for two. And then uh, what a play call and what execution there on the two-point play. So it was uh, it was so much fun, Chris. I, I, you know, look, the playoffs are coming up, and everybody will tell you that once the playoffs start, the environment's a little different, the speed's a little different. You can't tell me that these haven't been playoff-type games with Pittsburgh and Kansas City primetime on the road in terms of energy and, and level of, of play and execution from the Chargers standpoint has been awesome. What was louder? Was Seattle or Kansas I think Kansas City was louder than Seattle. You know, it's, it's interesting because every broadcast booth that I've been in in, in my illustrious long uh, broadcasting career of calling games consisting of one season, uh, we've been a heck of a season, though, <laughs> yes, bud. We've been open air, except for Kansas City. We had we were enclosed in the glass, so that's right. That's we right. could hear the crowd noise that pumped into our headphones, but we didn't get a chance to feel it as much as you do in, in the other stadiums. Like Pittsburgh was was so loud, but I've been told by people you know outside and people down on the field that it was it was pretty raucous. So you go into Pittsburgh, you go into Kansas City, and you do it without Melvin Gordon. Yeah, the, the fact that you can have a guy like Justin Jackson step up in Pittsburgh, and then Justin and Detrez. Detrez comes in. We saw what he was able to do in, in preseason, but to have a seventh rounder, an undrafted rookie running back, play such a pivotal role. And oh, by the way, Keenan Allen wasn't even in game in the first half. Yeah, no, it's uh, look, it's it's a marathon, not a sprint. When you look at an NFL season, and it's going to test your depth. And the Chargers have definitely been tested uh, in that regard. And it seems like injuries come in bunches at, at one position, and that's what happened at the running back position. And um, you know, you, you got to tip your cap not only to the scouting staff and Tom Telesco with bringing these guys into the fold. But, man, let's give this coaching staff a lot of credit. You know, keeping those guys engaged when they weren't getting on the field and continuing to develop them so that when their opportunity came, they were ready for it. And, um, you know, Justin Jackson, you can say, okay, he's Big Ten. He's been in some big stages. Um, Obviously, the production was the third-leading rusher in Big Ten history. That's there. Detrez Newsom is a little bit – it's a little little warm to me because that was – he went to Western Carolina. I went to Appalachian State. At that time, that was our, our big rivalry, a little bit lower level of football. So for him to go from Western Carolina to the Catamounts yeah. to then on that stage. Thursday night football, Thursday Arrowhead. Night, everybody watching, Arrowhead. You know, keep your divisional hopes alive to do what he did and the opportunity he had uh, was quite impressive. So give the young man credit. Again, I think that, that sometimes we uh, shortchange his coaching staff and give them the love they deserve. The depth has been phenomenal really in all three phases on this team pro bowlers we got seven of them here at the chargers any surprises anything that caught your eye of the seven uh well first of all once the uh once the list was announced i immediately sent uh tom telesco a text message and congratulated him because that's seven's a big number most in the league you had a great tweet about the the last four first round picks it's unbelievable it's been unbelievable i I think some people you know i'll I'll finish that thought and i'll go back to the other one but their last four first round picks when you look at melvin gordon joey bosa mike williams derwin james i challenge you to find a better four in the league and some people said oh some of those are high picks and oh it's not that hard they're first rounders uh go back and look go look at every other team what they've done in the last four years it's not as easy as it looks and he's done a nice job when you look at those guys the pedigree Big programs, productive, you know, 
check every box in terms of their competitiveness, and we've seen that carry over. I thought all four of those guys, not only a high ceiling, which you would hope in a first-round pick, but high floors as well. I mean, yeah. you're, not, you're very safe but good explosive football players, so you know, hat tip there for what he's done in the first round. But I sent him a text that said, congratulations on the seven Pro Bowlers, and he wrote back immediately, as you would expect, and said, I, that's a great number. I only care about the other number, which is wins. <laughs> yeah, let's go win as many games right as we now. can. So that 11 number carries more weight, uh, and, and rightfully so. I think one has something to do with the other. You and Bucky talk a lot about those blue-chip players, right? Yeah. What's what's more impressive in your eyes, the, the fact that they've been able to get these blue-chip players in the first round or the depth yeah. behind some of these guys? I mean, we talk about a guy like Tevi, yeah. Rochelle, Desmond King, Austin Eckler. We talk about Damian Square has been a key player. Square, Adrian Phillips. That list goes on and on. What's more impressive? Well, I think you know, in order to win big, you got to have both. You've you've got to, and I I think you start with some blue chip guys. It's tough to win. It's you know, people say the NBA is a star league. Every league is a star league. You've got to have some star players, and so they've checked that box, but. You just have to go back and look at last year's Super Bowl champion, the Philadelphia Eagles, who at the end of the year, I think they had double-digit guys on IR, including I think they had three or four captains, you know, guys that were leaders on their football team that were that were out. So, including the, the clubhouse leader for the MVP. Yeah, it, Carson point. Wentz at that point in time, Hall of Fame left tackle, and Jason Peters, you know, a key player for them, and Darren Sproles at the time, their best special teams player, Mergos. So they had lots of guys that they were counting on. Hicks, who was one of their top linebackers, yeah. uh, was out. So. You're going to be challenged depth-wise, and you have to do both. You can't sacrifice one for the other. And I think you can look around the NFL. Uh, yeah, we'll see. Can, can the, will the Chargers win the whole thing? None of us know. But I know when you look at the depth and the talent of the roster, they're one of a handful of teams that are positioned to make a deep run. This one on Saturday has a playoff-like feel, especially if you're the Ravens. Because it could be an elimination game for the Ravens. It could be, and I was just talking to a gentleman from the Athletic Baltimore, Jeff Zerebeck, and he said even though they won, they beat the Bucks. Yeah. everybody else won around them. Pittsburgh won, Indy won, um, Tennessee won. What, what stands out the last five weeks with this team? Obviously, it, it looks like two completely different offenses. Yeah, I don't know that they had an identity um, before Lamar Jackson took over. They weren't a great running team. Uh, they weren't particularly efficient as a, as a throwing team. And so you're trying to do, it's like trying to serve all masters, you end up serving none, mm, right? So yeah. now they've given themselves over to what the old Ravens used to look like. And I'm talking going back to the Brian Billick days uh, with Jamal Lewis and a great defense where it was, we are going to run the ball like crazy. We're going to shorten the game. We're going to beat you up. And then defensively, we're going to suffocate you because the defense is not going to be on the field that long. And just their speed and physicality uh, will kind of win out. They're not always going to be pretty scores, but they find a way to get something done. I think that's their identity. They have 100% an identity since Lamar Jackson took over. Now, it's a little bit of a narrower path for them when you play that way because if you turn the ball over you're going to have a hard time winning games if you get behind early you're going to have a hard time winning games now fortunately for them they've been able to to handle the ball they've been able to uh you know not give other teams short fields they haven't gotten a big hole early in games that to me is a big key for the chargers the first quarter if you can jump on this team and put some points up early and and make the Ravens have to throw the ball a little bit. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's the formula you're looking for. They control the clock too. I think they held the ball for 37 minutes. Yeah, you don't get many Tampa. possessions, and and what that has a psychological impact too because you're sitting there going offensively, man, we've got to make the most of this. We don't know how many of these possessions we're going to get. You can maybe force some things, and this defense will turn you over in a heartbeat with all the players they have. I asked Jeff uh, Zerubek this about Lamar Jackson. 
He's averaging 17 carries a game, yeah. which probably in the long run not sustainable long not term. Sustainable, yeah. but it's working right now. Uh, you have only five games of tape, really. You yeah. know, you, you don't have a, a full season sample size of what this offense is capable of. What's the key in this game? Is it really just try to limit Lamar Jackson first and second, I mean, third and longs? Yeah. You, you want to force him into third and longs. Yeah, and you've got to protect the middle of the field. Um, when you watched him at Louisville, it was part of the scouting report. I mean, everything breaking in, slants, seams, he's very comfortable in that area. Everything breaking out, the ball really gets away from him. He struggles to control it. So, you know, RPOs and slants, that's that's where he is. That's his sweet spot. So, to me, uh, you've got to take that away. you got to force him to kind of get to his second pitch, so to speak. He, he You can't let him beat you with his fastball. You've got to make him uh, throw another pitch. And Gap, gap integrity. The, the 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 fun thing for viewers to watch in this game this is classic size versus speed. When you look at the Ravens, who are going to, I think they're going to come out and try and run the ball between the tackles, and they're going to use Lamar Jackson as a threat. But I think you see them hand the ball off and really try and pound the Chargers straight ahead. Gus Edwards too. Gus Edwards inside the tackle. To me, that's what I think you'll see. And then the challenge is going to be for the Chargers, especially they live in that dime defense. And you've got Jatavis Brown in there who's a little undersized, and you have next to him Pro Bowler Adrian Phillips, special teams Pro Bowler. He's had a go. great year. Um, you're undersized in there. They've been able to get by. Teams haven't been able to run them out of that because they've used their quickness to beat people to spots. But it's going to be that power of Marshall Yonda and company and the speed and athleticism of those linebackers. Uh, that's going to be where the game's won. We're expecting to see Melvin Gordon back after a three-game absence, which will be a welcome sight for Chargers fans. And not just this game, DJ, but just how important is it to get him in the mix, especially against a physical defense like Baltimore as we head to January? Yeah, I mean, look, he's going to uh, he'll get a chance to shake off the rush real quick here because yeah. his defense will hit you. First couple series, you'll feel it. Yeah, you'll feel it. But, um, you know, the one element that's been missing with him, they found a way to win games, and we've credited the other running backs, but – can't replace the power that he brings you also can't replace what he can do in the passing game catching the ball and and then not only being able to make people miss but run through tackles so that physicality i think this is a perfect game to have somebody like that all right finally what do the charges need to do to get to 12 and 3 and and put themselves in a position to maybe get that one seat we'll see what happens on sunday yeah to me it sounds cliche but turnovers are huge in this game um if you can if you can turn over the Ravens again, jump on them early, that would be huge. And on the other side of it, make this offense travel the length of the field. Don't give them a short field. Don't turn the ball over on your side um, and, and let Lamar Jackson and company catch that in quick. The other thing you gotta think of with you know, with Tucker over there, anytime they get a possession inside your thirty five yard line, it's that's, it's, that's it's, three. it's it's three points. Mm-hmm. So make them travel make them travel some distance. Don't give them a short field. Um, I think that'll be big in Truthfully, you've got two teams playing good football right now. Um, we say it often in a game like this. We s- spend so much time talking about offense and defense, but maybe somebody pops a return. Maybe Desmond King can pop one, uh, and that can be a difference. Finally, move the sticks. I know you're going to have uh, some players, maybe some yeah. coaches on on your next episode. Where can people get it? Uh, how many times a week? Sure. All the good stuff. Yeah, no, we, uh, we've been doing this for, gosh, like four and a half years now. Um, you can find it at uh, nfl.com slash podcast. You can go to Apple Podcasts. Just pump in, move the sticks. You can find it on there. We're going to have uh, Derwin James and Mike Williams on this episode, where we, you know, we go through and preview all the NFL games every week. We really get going once the draft starts. With with Bucky and myself, kind of been in the scouting community. So this is the, it's, the season's winding down for most folks. It's just starting yeah. to crank up for us. It's always a must listen. It's, it's especially a must listen now. DJ, always gracious with your time. Thanks, man. You're the best. See you, bud. 
And that'll do it. My thanks to Daniel Jeremiah, Peter Schrager, Jeff Zarebeck, and Kurt Warner for joining me. And of course, thanks to you all for listening. Don't forget, if you like what you hear, be sure to give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Please help spread the word. Enjoy the game on Saturday night as the Chargers look to make it 12-3 on the season. Until next time, I'm Chris Harey.